0: This morning, our study is on the subject of David, and so we, last week we looked at David being anointed as king, and we saw him demonstrating his faith as he stood against the Philistine champion. This week, we look at an example of David that I think ties in to a lot of things we're seeing right now, even in the news and the media, when we look at how some of these governors are acting in a way that really overstep the Constitution and the things that they are they're doing. But how do we react to that? Do we go around slandering them on social media? And I think there are things that the Bible teaches us very clearly that we as Christians need to be doing. And David is one of those great examples in helping us to understand that. So we're going to study and look at some of the things that David did. Again, this is before he becomes king. And next week we'll look at another study from David. And then I will take another uh, section of study for Mother's Day. Uh, An example of someone related to David's life, I'm I'm saving that for then. So we're going to have four studies overall in in addition to the one on Mother's Day. So you're going to get plenty of David. You're getting a lot of Old Testament right now. And so this is my Old Testament time of the year. And then I might shift back to more of the New Testament. So you let me know um, uh, what you want to hear more from and to, to get more in depth in our study. Before we get into 1 Samuel, please pray with me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing it is to be able to uh, assemble together as Christians, that you've given us this body as Christians in a family that we can stir one another to love and good works, that we can be edified in your word, that we can worship and praise you. Father, we love you and we revere you for your steadfast love and your mercy and forgiveness upon us every day. Father, we ask your continual blessings on us. We ask your blessings on this congregation that, and even in these trying times, that we spread the gospel, that we share the truth, and that this congregation will grow. Father, we ask your blessings upon those who cannot be with us right now, who we love and care about, who are part of our body. Father, um, we ask that you continue to bless them with good health and encouragement. Father, we ask your blessings upon Florence C. and Bernice Ryland as they are struggling with this um, influenza that's going around, Father, please give them strength and help to overcome it. Uh, Father, we ask again that you forgive us and give us your grace, and we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. So last week, the title of the lesson was The Rise of God's Anointed, and we saw David being anointed by the prophet Samuel. So again, hence the book 1 Samuel. And in 2 Samuel, you're going to get more of David's life, and especially as he is a king. And we see some of the great things he does. We also see his great, greatest mistake and how it affects his family life. So we're going to get to that in the coming weeks. One of my favorite sections about um, David's life is, it's not David and Goliath. It's, it's how David, what we're looking at this morning, how he resp- responds to King Saul. You know, how, how he adjust to what is happening so he's anointed to be king but the king of israel doesn't like him very much so i ask you as we think about this this morning and i think it very much connects with our government and how we behave should we react to the government as david did to goliath it's it's not our our response to turn to this giant government and and rebel and certainly not violently as christians we should know that we haven't done that But we also see David's response to King Saul. And it's a way that I think is very respectable, and it's a way that is patterned even from Christians. When I look at Paul and how he responded, we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about how the governor of Damascus wanted to capture and and get Saul. Or or at that time, it would be Saul becoming Paul, and he escapes from uh, the city there. He escapes from the governor. He does things that I very much see that David does. And so we see these patterns of things uh, of which how, how we as Christians, the faithful, should respond. So let's look a little bit further here. If you have your Bible or if you want to look up here on the screen, we've got 1 Samuel chapter 18. I'm going to read verses 5 and following. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 5 and following. And we see David's success. So in chapter 17, last week, we looked at how David killed Goliath, how he was victorious over him. In chapter 16, before that, David was anointed. And before that was pretty much the the fall of Saul, that is King Saul. And as King Saul rebelled against God and disobeyed him in 1 Corinthians 15. So this week we come to chapter 18. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So King Saul is using him at this point. And so that Saul set him over the men of war, puts him in charge of of these conflicts and battles. And it makes sense. But in a lot of ways, Saul needed this. He was afraid and his men were fearful. But here he has this young man, David, who has been victorious. It says, and this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. But we keep reading. First Samuel 18, verses 6 through 7. And they were coming home, and when David returned from striking down the Philistine, that the women came out of the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his tens, his ten thousands. I don't know how you might respond to that, but Saul gets angry. He's jealous of this. He doesn't want to hear this. He recognizes what he once was. He was that great leader who had risen up, who was a foot taller than anywhere else, and he's from this very humble tribe, Saul's uh, upbringing. And so I think Saul wished he could have continued in that. And what I think Saul's also seeing in David is is, if I remain faithful to God, this is the man I used to be and could have continued to be. But he refuses. He's been rejected by God as he himself has disobeyed God. And so we keep reading here and Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they have ascribed thousands. And what more? Can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. As we continue to read throughout the text, Saul, Saul did not want David to become king. He, did, he wanted his own sons to be the next in line. He wanted the kingdom to con, continue under him and from his own children. And so as he begins to see, here's David taking on a role, acting like a king, being praised and being equated to, to the king of Israel course, he's very disturbed by it. He doesn't like it. You ever found yourself disliking someone because they get a lot of attention? I remember in elementary school, I, I used to be like that. I would think about it, and there are people that are like this today. And you might struggle with it. I don't know, but in elementary school, I would wonder why did God allow this guy to be more athletic than me? I want to be athletic, and why is this guy over here more humorous? He always gets the attentions of the girls more than I do, and. I didn't like them for that reason, you know, that they, they got more of attention or if they had other things and other abilities. And I guess as I grew and matured, I really just came to the point where I didn't care about those kind of things. But uh, I still, you still see people today who are like King Saul, who when somebody else is getting attention that they think they deserve, they get upset about it. It hurts their ego. They become very insecure about it and they're very prideful about who they are and this is going on, this conflict. You see it with grown men today. And to me, I equate it from, with, with childhood, but they never got to the maturity to where it, that doesn't bother them. So there, there's some things to, to look at here. So if you are struggling with that, or maybe you can relate to what, what Saul is going through here, I think you have good reason to pray and to study and to find who you are and your value and your identity in God. Not in jealousy of others. Or an envy of what others have. Why is it that the, this guy, you know, he has a nice house and a nice car and his marriage seems to be better. And so some people can be very envious in that way. Or, you know, why does this individual seem to have things better than me? And so that kind of jealousy, it can be very destructive. And Saul is an example of that. So take a warning this morning. If you struggle with that, even a little bit, look at King Saul and decide, I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to be like him. So how should Christians respond on another point of of message here? Because when we go through a story in biblical stories, there are multiple lessons that can be drawn out. And I might be talking and hitting on certain points this morning, and you see something else. You have an observation that's more relevant in in your study, and I hope that you will look for that and apply it and make sure and allow God's Word to change you. So how should Christians respond to government authorities today? When you look at some of them, you know, there's some governors today... And specifically in one state that I'm thinking of, where uh, the governor said, you can't even buy seed to plant a garden. You can't do a lot of things. You can't buy half the things that are in the store. And that person is telling everybody they're essentially under house arrest, stay home. Uh, these things are not essential. These things are essential. And a lot of it is really not making any sense. How do we respond to that? Um, how would how do we see the Christians in the Bible doing that? Uh, So we see the faithful people in the Bible, they continue to live their life, and the way that they live, being faithful to God, is enough to protest. It's enough to tell those who are are tyrants that we're going to keep living the way that we are. Whether you're looking at Christians living under tyrannical Caesars, or whether you're looking at even the example of David here, or Paul, or today, by the fact that we're here this morning, when others have told us, oh, you shouldn't even be going near a building, or coming to assemble together to worship. Um, what are we going to do? What's the right way? And just by living as Christians, we demonstrate that we are going to obey God rather than men. And we're going to do that first. Uh, secondly, we're going to then follow what the government, and as best we can. We're going to obey the government as best as we have in our ability. So let's look at a few more examples here, some descriptions here from David's life. I think this is very interesting so when you get into first samuel chapter 18 you remember when saul gets angry you know david would go in and play his lyre to appease saul saul gets really angry one day and he has this it says there a spirit of of anger and evil within him and he no longer has the spirit of god anymore you can read that in first samuel chapter 18. so what does saul try to do to david you remember he takes up a spear on two occasions and tries to pin David to the wall, and David escapes him. That's what we read about. So David escapes Saul's plot, and we start to read a little bit further as Jonathan gives some warnings in chapter 20. And in chapter 21, David has left. He's gone to the countryside, and he's gone to uh, Ahimelech, who is the high priest there at at the tabernacle outside of Jerusalem at this time. And he goes there asking for food. And Ahimelech says, all we have is this food, the show bread, the holy bread, the sacred bread that's in the tabernacle. And the priest says, I'll give it to you and you can eat it. If the young men who are with you are holy, are they holy? If they have kept themselves from women while they're in expedition. Expedition, excuse me. So David testifies, he says, the young men, as we go out in expedition, when we've gone to fight, we've always kept ourselves holy. And we have not engaged in any kind of sexual immorality. We've kept ourselves from uh, those who would, any kind of temptation. And so they, they're holy, and at this time we see the nature. We see how David is. So he continues to live a holy life. He continues to live the right way, all because somebody is persecuting him or oppressing him. He does not use it as an excuse. Well, I can do whatever I want right now. And you see people doing that. And they're like, well, the hardships of my life allow me to live in a relationship sexual relationship outside of marriage and people will justify that David never used his hardships in that way at least not in the early part of his life and yet it seems to be like in his comfort in his time of victory and later in life where he finds harder times to live and stay faithful to God let's continue going here and reading in first Samuel we come to chapter 23 verses 1 through 3 We see again the nature of David. David is acting like a king, and so he has 600 men who are with him. And this reminds me of kind of Robin Hood and his merry men. Of course, that's hundreds of years afterwards. It reminds me of some of the figures in the Revolutionary War who would live out and and live in the hill country. And so David goes out and his men, they're living in the hill country. Uh, We also read about other people in history doing things like that. It reminds me of the apostles. It reminds me of the in Jewish history, the Maccabees living out in the hills as they're being oppressed by uh, the Greek empire at that time. And so a lot of times in history, but here David kind of sets that whole archetype, that example, that picture we often think of. And as he's living out there in the hill country, he hears that the Philistines have come in, and Saul's not doing about it because Saul is still a coward. He's still afraid, and he's still rebellious against God. And these Philistines come to the city of Cala, and they're fighting against it and robbing them, raiding. And so David goes to God in prayer about this. Let's read about it now in 1 Samuel 23. And now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Cala. And are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Calah. So David's not fighting against Saul. You would think, oh, he's got his army, he's got his men. Maybe he should rebel. He's been anointed to become king, and Saul's evil. Why not go and fight against him? That's not what he does. But he fights against any enemies coming in, and specifically these Philistines who are attacking against Caleb. And so it says... The Lord says, go and attack the Philistines and save Caleb." But David's men said to him, behold, we are afraid here in Judah. We're living in hiding from Saul. How much more if we go to Caleb against the armies of the Philistines? And so again, it says here, then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, arise. Now he has a command. Arise, set the example, and go to Calah. It's in the midst of fear. God says, go, do what is right. For I will give the Philistines into your hands. And David and his men went to Cala and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. And so David saved the inhabitants of Cala. I love this story. So you have David still respecting the anointed of God, Saul, not fighting against him, but also already acting like a king already acting like a savior, already rescuing his people who are being afflicted by the Philistines, doing what Saul should have been doing. And I think there's a lot to do, a lot of example in that. You know, as Christians today, we want to think in this way. When the government tells us to do something we can't do, that they don't don't want us to do, that we can't be a part in, We're going to keep following God. We're going to continue to be faithful. When he tells us to go, we're going to go. We're going to share the gospel. When secular society around us says you should keep your religion to yourself in your house and in your church building, we're not going to do that. When people tell us, oh, you shouldn't be teaching your children and indoctrinating them that God created the universe, the heavens and the earth, and that he made all things, and that Jesus died on the cross and resurrected on the third day. You shouldn't be spreading that around. You shouldn't be sharing that message with others. A lot of people in the world to say, to say that today. I remember reading a poll recently asking millennials who claim to be conservative Christians if they, what they thought about evangelism. And a, and a grid, good majority of them, I want to say up to 50%, said they thought it would be wrong to evangelize, to share their faith with others because people need to believe what they want to believe. And I shouldn't be pushing what I believe on others or sharing it with others. And I think that's a very shameful thing to, for us as Christians to even think in that way. There's a lot that we can learn from this. If we lived in a society in which we were very much oppressed, you know, what we're going through right now and some of the restrictions we've seen among the governors is nothing as opposed to what others have gone through and what others are going through throughout the world. So Christians, we should learn. We can elude the oppressive rulers and yet continue to serve others. Continue to do what is right. And again, I put the example here. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 11 of Paul doing that, of escaping someone who, a governor who wanted to kill him. And we continue to see Paul's example in eluding the authorities and doing what is right. And even when he's thrown into jail and to prison, he uses it for the advantage of the whole church. To teach the gospel. Even when Paul stands before governors and before kings there and he's put on trial, he doesn't insult them. He doesn't call them stupid. He doesn't blast their name or spread around that they're evil. He honors them and respects them and who they are. And I think there's much for us to learn from it. And David does the same. We continue to read here. We see David is no coward. He, he only hides to avoid fighting from Saul. He's not living in fear of Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 14 says this, And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. A lot of times we think about this area of Judah as a desert area. At this time, there's lots of trees, there's wilderness. um, That is just not there today. But he lives in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. And he'll eventually also go to the wilderness of En Gedi. That's the other passage there. So Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Saul, I mean, God delivered David from Saul. Because the king is God's anointed, there's things that, that stand out to me about how David responded to Saul. David had opportunities to kill Saul. Saul goes looking for David in the wilderness of Ziph. And he goes into a cave to relieve himself. You remember reading about this? David and his men are in then in there. And his men are saying, you go and you can kill Saul now. Here's your enemy. Here's the one who wants to kill you. And David goes off and cuts off the edge of his garment. And later after Saul leaves and he's crossed over to another hill, David goes out and he confronts him and says, Saul, here, I could have killed you and I didn't. Showed him Mercy. In that example here, let's read a little bit about that. Verse 24, verses 6 through 7, it says, And he said to his men, so his men are trying to persuade David to kill Saul while he's in the cave. And David says this, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. You know, see how David's still talking about Saul? Saul's been been no disobedient to God. He could have justified, well, I have an opportunity now to kill Saul. Certainly God would want me to do that. David says, no, this is God's anointed. And he says, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. And so David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul and rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Now later he would, right after this, immediately after he's going to confront Saul from the distance, says, see, I had the opportunity to kill you and I didn't. And each time Saul regrets it, Saul says, I shouldn't have done that. And you think, maybe Saul's repenting, and he's not. He regrets it. He's he's being faced with the fact that he could have died, and so he leaves David alone, recognizes that David is a righteous man and has given him mercy until another day. And that's what we see here. Part of our reading this morning that Logan read from us is 1 Samuel 26. And in that instance, we have David sneaking into the camp with Abishai. And and Saul's laying out in his camp and he's got his spear by his head and Abishai says, I can take that spear and put it through Saul twice. Nobody hear it. I could pin him through the ground. And this is what David says to Abishai. Do not destroy him for who can put his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die or he will go down in the battle and perish. That is what happens, isn't it? God brought about justice. And it's true today that anybody who seeks out to oppress Christians, God is going to bring justice upon them in this life or the next, or both. So the Lord, it says here in the pattern, the Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that is in his hand and the jar of water and let us go. So David, again, respects the governing authority. He respects Saul. He doesn't strike out against him. He doesn't even speak bad. You don't even hear David calling Saul bad words and spreading out propaganda or anything like that, You know, trying to get the message around of how bad a leader he is. David says, this is the Lord's anointed, and we're not going to strike him. God will, by his own providence, bring him to his own end. God will work about justice. And that's what we see in the Bible. When I read this, I can't help but think about Romans chapter 12 and 13. In Romans 12, it says if someone curses you, what do you do in response to them? You don't curse them back. It says you bless them. If someone does wrong to you, does evil to you, you do good in return. And we see that example here demonstrated in David. Now, the other thing that Romans does, you keep reading Romans 12. Remember, man made the chapter divisions. Romans 13 goes straight into saying God put in the authorities. God set the government in order to bring about justice. And he says there you need to pay your taxes. You need to do what is right. And that you don't return evil for evil. And you let God work it out providentially. And the government and the authorities will do that in time. So immediately after these events, we read about David having an opportunity to kill Saul. He doesn't do it, and Saul regrets it, but then Saul again tries to kill David again. And then Saul eventually is going to come to his own end in a battle. But I want to make some observations this morning before we conclude about David's actions. Some of the things that we've seen. Make sure I don't miss anything. And you might see some other things here, and I'd like to hear what your thoughts are. But David trusted God. He trusted God with his life, and he trusted God providentially that he would work things out. Yes, I'm I'm anointed to be king, and Saul can't kill me for that. And I'm not going to kill him because he's God's anointed. So David trusted God to bring Saul to justice without lifting his hand against him. David recognized King Saul as God's anointed. If God wanted David to kill Saul, God could have just told him, go do it. He had the opportunity to. David was brave and and courageous. I had a a little Bible study with my kids. I don't know if it was this Wednesday night, but the one before. I had them reading scriptures and drawing out observations and and talking about it. And when I wanted them to say the word faith, and I can't remember the exact example right now. Rachel will remind me later probably. But I wanted them to say faith, and the kids kept saying, well, he was brave, or he was courageous. And as they were saying that, it was something that I just hadn't thought about much before. And I see it now, especially in David, that my faith and trust in God and my hope in him is what gives me bravery, which gives me courage. And they should be associated and connected together. And so I see that in David. And it had to be my children making the observation for me to see that even more. So David was brave and courageous by faith against Goliath, and he was also against Saul. If he struck one down and the other, he allowed to live. And he acted differently on both occasions, but he did God's will. And I think this morning as we think about this, there's so much to draw from the example of David. When we see this. David had faith and trust in God's providential working. Remember Romans 8 and verse 28? It might be, one of, it might be your favorite scripture. For all lot of people, it is. That God works all things for good for those who love him. You remember that scripture? That's true. And the whole Old Testament tells us that. If we live by faith, God works all things for good for those who love him. Even in in death, even when we die, God works it all for good. And as we start thinking about how David responded to the Lord's anointed, we want to think today about our government as God's appointed. That God has put these governments into effect and has given them power. Romans 13, verses 1 through 2, Let every man be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, how, can David, how can Paul say that? You know, Paul knows what it's like to be persecuted. He knows what it's like to be persecuted by governing authorities, by the cities. Why would he say this? Why would, why would he say it in this way? And of course, you need to keep reading here. But he's telling Christians to rely, even those Christians in Rome, to trust in God. And trust that he has put these authorities into power. Trust in God's providence that he will bring about justice. How, again, I asked that question, how could Paul write this by the Holy Spirit when he's been persecuted? You know, Peter and Paul, they talk about don't speak down, don't degrade the government leaders, whether Republican or Democrat. Don't curse them. Don't deride them. We read passages like Peter says in 1 Peter. He says, while Nero is ruling, Peter says, and while persecution is going on in 1 Peter, he says, honor the emperor. How can I do that? look what he's doing. And of course, this is before, I think, before Nero has been killing Christians. They are enduring persecution at that time. When you read in 1 Peter chapter 4 and 5, you see that. But he tells them again, honor the emperor. Do what's right. So what should the faithful do when the governing authorities tell us to disobey God? we do recognize there comes to a point that we've got to follow God over man. The apostles, when they are told to stop preaching, stop filling Jerusalem with the gospel in Acts chapter 4 and in Acts chapter 5, what did the apostles say when they were called in and questioned by the Sanhedrin, by the Jewish Supreme Court? This is what they said. Acts 5 and verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. So we see that in David. David obeyed God rather than men. He did everything he could to do what was right. At the same time, he didn't strike out against Saul. And as we as Christians want to be very careful in how we respond to the government and the authorities around us. So I think the message today as we look at David and his example is that we respect God's authority and we respect the governing authorities. That doesn't mean that I can't say, well, I think this official in the government is doing wrong, that he's oppressing others, that he should be held accountable, that the court should find him guilty of this. I can say that without deriding him or putting that individual down and slandering that individual or or saying things that are profane. I don't need to do that. And so I ask you, you know, where where does this come from? What does it come down to? It comes down to my act of faith and trust in God with my life. God, if the, if the government's going to take my life, if somebody's going to persecute me, if they're going to kill me, if they're going to slander me, if they're going to take away my business and property because of whatever reason, I trust you to care for me, to take me in a way in which I should go. God gave us our life. Trust him with it. Before we finish this morning, this is going to be part of our invitation But when I was reading Titus chapter 3, and it says there to obey the government and don't speak out hateful words toward them. Right after that, right after that section, this is what Paul says to Titus. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. It's not of you. It's not of your own works. He says, but according to his mercy, you need mercy. And that was the point. Yes, there are sinful leaders, but you're just you're sinful, too. And you need mercy. And he says, you remember that mercy. But according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. When is the washing of regeneration? When are we reborn? When are we born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ? The Bible makes it very clear. Peter says in 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, we are born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in 3 and verse 21 in 1 Peter, he says, We are saved by baptism, not a washing away of the filth of the flesh, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is it. It is at baptism, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. When we're baptized, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, whom He poured out on us, the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, by His favor, we've been justified, we've been made right. We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Love that section of Scripture. We're saved by God's mercy and His grace, and we've been given eternal life if we believe Him. And it starts when we've been washed in baptism. This morning, if you haven't put on Christ in baptism, wash away your sins to be born again, do it. That's what the Scripture teaches. If you've gone away and you've gone astray, if you've noticed that um, this morning, uh, looking at David's example, that... The way that you spoke about the governing authorities hasn't been right and that it's been rebellious or even profane. Repent of that. Whatever encouragement you need right now. I know that we have a lot of people struggling. People struggling with unemployment and sickness. Many trials. and other things that can come into their life. We want to pray with you and encourage you. Whatever your needs are this morning. You need to obey the gospel. You need prayers. We encourage you to come while we stand.